This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Uh, we're continuing our series entitled, Come, Let Us Adore Him, as we take a look at the Christmas story and find the, the theme of worship throughout the Christmas story and how that is fueled by generosity and giving. Uh, today we find uh, ourselves in Luke, chapter 1, as we take a look at lessons from the life of Mary, Luke, chapter 1. <laughs> If you missed last week, you can, you can get caught up on our podcast at whoecala.org. We also have a uh, smartphone app or that you can download to your phone or your tablet to uh, get caught up that way, listen to the podcast. Last week, we took a look at lessons from the life of Joseph. This week, lessons from the life of Mary. Luke chapter 1 is where we find ourselves, uh, and we are going to start at verse number 26 this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting verse number 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Unto the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Verse number 37 is a great promise from God's word. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary rose in those days and went into the hill with the country, uh, hill country, with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out with a loud voice and saying, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that cometh the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Verse number 46 begins what is sometimes referred to as Mary's song. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done me to me great things, and holy is his name and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud imaginations of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of a low degree and hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich 
he hath sent empty away, and he hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. We find ourselves this morning in the middle of a fascinating story. We sometimes refer to this as the Christmas story. Uh, Luke chapter two goes on to tell how Christ's birth came about and when it came about and uh, all the details surrounding that. Uh, and if you don't have a good Christmas morning tradition, uh, let me give you one that's really easy to do. Uh, for our family, we started a long time ago before we ever opened the first Christmas present, before anybody ever shakes a box, uh, before anybody grabs anything under the tree. We grab, sit the kids down, we turn to Luke chapter two, and we read the Christmas story. It just tells the story of Jesus Christ because that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the day. Uh, this is why we do what we do because Jesus has been so good to us because God has given us, we give gifts to one another in remembrance of that. A Christmas season many times gets wrapped up in uh, all of the uh, uh, different decorations and the different Christmas parties and the things that we have to go to and did we get our Christmas cards out on time and have we gotten our Christmas shopping done? Did we forget somebody? Here's the worst thing that happens in the Christmas season, somebody buys you a gift and you didn't buy them anything back. Has that ever happened to anybody before? And then like on the spot, you tell that little white lie, I left yours at home, I ordered it off of Amazon, but it hasn't come yet, um, I have something for you, I just can't give it to you yet, and you begin to make up all these, and it's a lie, and it's a sin, and you should repent of it, and just say, I forgot, I'm sorry, I'm a terrible friend. Um, but we sometimes get caught up in all of that and we forget, why do we even celebrate Christmas? Do we forget the name that Christmas is Christ in the name itself? Here this morning, we pause for a second and take a look at the importance of the Christmas season for us. Here we see the life of a woman who is very special, very unique, uh, and the fact that she was a virgin chosen by God to carry the Christ child into the world for us. Mary was just an average ordinary person who was chosen to do an extraordinary act in the fact that she carried the Christ child. But Mary to this day continues to be just an average ordinary girl who is used to perform an extraordinary feat, carrying of the Christ child. It, we, we'd be remiss to, to not discuss the importance of the virgin birth as we look at the life of Mary. Uh, because of the virgin birth of Christ, you and I have a savior born to us uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we receive our sin nature uh, by all men, and by all men, uh, death and sin hath passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And if you have a dad here today, whether he's alive or dead, or whether you ever had a relationship with him, if you had a father, and you do, you have a sin nature that's passed you along through your father's lineage. And the Bible says because of that, all of us have sinned against God. Therefore, we need someone to pay the price for our sin. The Bible says you can pay the price of your own sin if you so choose. And the only way to pay for the wrong that you've done is not to do good that would mitigate that or do, do better to make up for that. The Bible says you have sinned and you've broken the law and God's judgment for your sin, God's judgment for my sin, the Bible says, is death. And that's just not a physical death. That's a physical death. And then after that, an eternal death, the Bible calls the second death. The second death is far worse than the first because there's no end to the second death. When you and I die, if we die to pay for our sins, the Bible says that we go to hell when we die. Hell is a real place that burns with real fire. And that's the, get this, don't miss this, that's the default destination for all mankind. You're automatically, you don't have to do anything in this life other than take a breath and you're automatically headed towards hell, the Bible says. 
And that is how you pay for your sin. That is how I can pay for my sin. But here's the good news. God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. He doesn't want you to have to carry the weight of all the wrongdoing of your entire life on your own shoulders. And so he sent his son Jesus to pay for our sins. Now, false religion sometimes says Jesus was just another guy like you and I who became God-like. Here's the thing. If Jesus is just another guy like us, then Jesus also had sin. And if Jesus has sin, then Jesus has to pay for his sin. And if Jesus had to pay for his sin, he can't pay for our sin. Therefore, we no longer have a savior. If Jesus was just another guy, we don't have a savior and we're still in our sins and we're still in a heap of trouble. False religion also would say that Jesus is just one of the many ways that our sins can be forgiven. Uh, that if you have a religious system that you really believe in, even if it's contrary to the Bible, our society today, pluralism today says, whatever you believe, as long as you really believe it, you're okay. But the Bible says that's not the truth either. Jesus says in John 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven through me. So if you have an alternate route that you're planning to get to heaven, let me just help you with this this morning. You're not gonna get there. You're gonna miss it by a mile. Jesus Christ is the only hope that you have. He's the only hope that I have. But because he was God in the flesh, because he had no sin, because he owes God nothing as far as a sin debt is concerned, he could pay for our sins. But remember, how do you pay for his sins? You die. And so Jesus had to go to the cross and he gave his life willingly to pay for my sin and pay for yours. He died physically. He endured the pain, the wrath of God on the cross to pay for our sins. And the Bible says because of that, you and I can be, here's a beautiful Bible word, saved. Friend, you must be saved to go to heaven. You must be saved to be forgiven of your sin. The word saved is used synonymously in the Bible with the phrase born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Just as I was born on June the 12th, 1977, that was my first birth. For those of you that are trying to do the math, I'm 42 years old, just pay attention, okay? Just like I was born on a specific date and time and a place, so I was also born again at a certain date, time, and place as well. I talked to folks before and they say, uh, I say, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ, where you've been born again? They say, well, I've always been born again. I've always been a follower of Jesus. I've always believed in God. That would be like asking someone when their birth date was and they say, I don't have a birth date. I've just kind of always been. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You have to have a birth date and there must be a time for you where you were born again. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to know the time, you have to know the date, you have to know the place, you have to remember all the specifics of it, you have to remember what you said when you confessed your sin. You just need a time that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't have that time, today is your time. You get an opportunity today to repent of your sin. Because the Bible says when your time on this earth is over, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. At that point, your judgment's coming and it's too late to make any decisions. You have to make your decision before you leave this earth. And because you and I don't know how much time we have, we need to make that decision sooner rather than later. And so if you've never had an opportunity to be born again, today is your opportunity. You've never come to a point of faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. Today is that opportunity because if you die in your sin, 
there's no hope for you, none whatsoever. And that's why the Christmas story is so important. It's not because uh, Jesus came to do good, which he did. It's not because Jesus came to tell us really important things that God said, and he did. It's not that Jesus came and set a good, really good example for us to follow on how to treat people or how to have better interpersonal relationships. He did all of that. The important thing is God became a man in the form of a baby in a manger for one purpose and one purpose only, to die for our sins. That's it. That's why Christmas is awesome. For the Christian who knows the Bible, Christmas is like the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NHL Stanley Cup, uh, everything rolled into one. I forgot the NBA Finals. That's important too, right? Everything. Biggest event you can imagine is the birth of our Savior. The second most important thing is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. So coming this spring, we'll celebrate what the world calls Easter. Sometimes we as Christians call it Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because without the birth of Christ and without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are a hopeless bunch of folks. But because God became a man and he died for our sins, and he rose again the third day victorious over those sins. And he ascended to heaven in victory and power. You and I can be forgiven of our sins. You and I can have a home in heaven. And you and I can be a part of the family of God. That's what Christmas is about. But it couldn't have ever happened if it hadn't been for a virgin by the name of Mary who would carry the Christ child. Now, again, I told you Jesus is the only way to heaven. I told you that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, it's important, too, that we clarify before we go any further. Was Mary a special girl? Absolutely. The Bible says that she was blessed. The, the Bible says that she was chosen among all other women to carry the Christ child. But that's where it ends. She was a special girl that was cho chosen for a special job. Was she blessed? Absolutely. But the apostles that walk with Jesus every day were blessed, too. The woman who is healed of blindness, she was blessed. Young man that was cured of his deafness was blessed. The 10 lepers that met Jesus and called out and asked for healing and Jesus healed them, they were, he, they were blessed. Those that sat on the mountainside and heard Jesus speak, the word of God speaking the word of God, they were blessed. So this idea of Mary being blessed doesn't mean that she had any special position or that she holds any power for our salvation. A false religion would say that Mary is the co-redemptrix of mankind, meaning she works together with Jesus to redeem us from our sin. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. False religion would also say, that, also say that Mary is the mother of the church. We would reject that because the Bible says that Jesus Christ purchased the church with his own blood. So Mary was a special woman for a special time, but it kind of ends there. Uh, we don't venerate Mary. We don't uh, hold Mary up in any way. We don't uh, hold her in any special position. We don't uh, ascribe her any titles that the Bible doesn't ascribe to her. She was just a special girl who was used for a special purpose. Again, we would also reject the, the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, uh, the, the idea that Mary was uh, always a virgin, that she had other children by uh, the Holy Spirit as well. We reject that because we don't find that in Scripture. We also reject the idea of what's referred to as the assumption of Mary, that she never died, just as Christ never died and ascended to heaven uh, in the same fashion as he did. We reject that because we don't find that in the Bible anywhere. And because we are Christians, we just believe what the Bible says. Uh, we don't do, use any extra books aside from the Bible. Uh, we don't stick with any type of church tradition. We just say, what does the Bible say? Uh, and that's what we believe, and that's how we practice it. From Mary's life, though, 
she was an ordinary girl chosen to do an extraordinary job. We have so many things that we can glean from her life, from her attitude, from the choices that she made. And that's what we're gonna take a look at today as we take a look at lessons from the life of Mary. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, we follow the Lord in obedience even when the pathway is unclear. An angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're blessed. You're gonna carry the child that is known as Jesus. He's gonna save the people from their sins. And verse number 38, actually, uh, first of all, uh, she says to him, how is this, no, how's this gonna happen? Verse 34, she said to an angel, how shall this be seeing as I know not a man? Uh, that word know uh, in a biblical sense means to have sexual relationship with. How, is it, how am I gonna have a child when I've never had sex with another man? She said, I don't really understand how this is gonna work. And the angel says into her, verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore, this holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And verse 38, what was Mary's response to all this? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know what Mary said? Hey, whatever God wants, just let him do it. She says, behold, the word behold means to look at. Look here, right here is the handmaid of the Lord. A handmaid is just a, a hired servant that works in a house that does menial, low tasks. You know what Mary said? Whatever God wants to do, I'm okay with that. I'm just a servant. I just wanna be used. Mary didn't see herself as anything important. She didn't esteem herself to any high office. She didn't give herself any great title. She certainly didn't see herself as one to be worshiped. She said, hey, I just wanna do whatever God says. I just wanna follow him. And you and I can learn a lesson from that and the fact that many times you and I will be called to follow God when we don't understand why or we don't understand how. But you know what Mary says? Hey, whatever God says, I wanna do that. Angela and I made a decision probably 19 years ago or so now, we were young baby Christians. We were, I accepted Christ as a nine-year-old boy. Uh, I probably didn't walk with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. And so I had a period in my life where there was little to no growth whatsoever. And we were young married folks just trying to figure out life and trying to do things better than, uh, than our parents had did and tried to, to just make life work. And we made a decision. We were young in church and young in our faith. We made a decision that we would just follow the Lord and whatever he told us to do. Now, we didn't know what that meant. Uh, we just heard preaching that it's good to obey the Lord and God promises his blessing on those that obey. And we didn't know really what that meant. But I remember that she and I, in a Sunday night service, I, I leaned over to her and I grabbed her hand and I said, I really just wanna do whatever God wants us to do. And she said, me too. And so that night, we're sitting there at the end of a service. I just grabbed her hand and we prayed together. And we prayed a prayer so simple, so innocent, but it would change the rest of our lives. And it was this. God, whatever you tell us to do, we're just gonna do it. Amen. We didn't use any big Bible words. We didn't know any big Bible words. We didn't pray in King James English, thou merciful and gracious heavenly Father, we beseech thee therefore before thy throne of grace tonight. We bring forth our humble lives as a willing sacrifice to thou kingdom. We, we didn't do that. We didn't know that. And here's the thing, when you talk to God, God's not impressed with that kind of talk. Do you talk to anybody else like that? I don't think so. You don't have to talk to God like that. We just said, God, whatever you tell us to do, we're just gonna do it, amen. And let me just tell you, that changed the rest of our lives. 
And I will tell you today with 100% certainty that you're seated, seated here today at Huicala Baptist Church because of a decision that we made 19 years ago that if God told us to do something, we would just do it. So that when God began to move on our hearts, uh, man, eight years or so ago to start Huicala Baptist Church, we just said, God, if it's what you want us to do, we'll do it. And we just followed every step along the way in obedience. You see, we cannot be guided by what we deem best. Mary didn't look at her situation and go, oh, let me weigh this out a little bit. Mary was already engaged. We took a look at last week. She was engaged to Joseph. The betrothal period was basically they were legally married but had not yet come together and merging their households together, had not yet come together in a sexual relationship. They were engaged to one another, legally committed, legally bonded to one another through this betrothal period. Uh, And now she's gonna have to tell her engaged husband She's pregnant, (laughs) but I haven't been with another guy. It's actually God's kid. And you know what Mary said? Okay. Now, Mary didn't know that Joseph was also gonna receive a message from an angel as well. She didn't know that, but she just said, okay. It wasn't in Mary's best interest. Again, we took a look at last week how uh, the, uh, the, uh, the consequences of becoming pregnant outside of wedlock in biblical times was death by stoning. But you know what Mary said? She said, okay. Oftentimes, you and I try to figure out, will I follow God if it works in with my best interests? This is work out with the plan that I have. And when we follow God, we wanna know, hey, where's this whole thing leading? Where's this gonna end up one day? And and then I'll make a decision whether or not I'm gonna follow. Hey, what's the end result of all this? And then I'll make a decision whether or not I will obey. And let me just tell you, if you could see the end of it, you probably wouldn't follow it. Because God's plans are greater than your plans. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, verse number 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You and I think we have it all figured out, but many times we're chasing after a foolish dream. We've chosen our own path, and our own path, let me just tell you, it stinks. God's plans are always greater than ours, and, and Mary didn't choose what she thought was best. She chose what God had revealed to her. We're not also guided by what we deem possible. I love what the angel says to her. With God, all things are possible. And how many times would we be stopped short of doing what God asked us to do because it's not possible in our estimation? I remember when Angela and I felt God leading us back to Honolulu to plant this church We had to do a lot of research, and we found, as you know as well, Honolulu has one of the highest cost of living of any city in the United States. Things like groceries, utilities, uh, rent, things like that are generally only eclipsed by areas like New York City, but for the United States, it's just astronomically expensive, and I don't need to tell that to you folks. So we began to look at this and go, wow, financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense to try to plant a church in the middle of a city. We began to look around at places that we could hold church services. We thought, well, we'll just rent a, a school building or something like that on a Sunday morning. Guess what? Every school is chock full of churches. We thought we'd be really, really, we'd be so innovative and so uh, next level. We thought to ourselves, man, uh, there's restaurants around that have like banquet rooms. We'll rent out a banquet room. We'll have services there. Or we'll rent out a restaurant on a Sunday morning. We'll have services there. Uh, people are already doing that too. Hmm, okay, uh, well, it's Hawaii. The weather's great year-round. We'll just have church at the beach, right? And so we go over to, on the Sunday morning over to the beach, and there's three or four churches that meet over the beach. Wow, 
You begin to look at that and you go, wow, this isn't really possible. <laughs> There's not really a good way to do this. And so we had uh, gotten in touch with a real estate agent who said, I've got a really great location for you. She gave me the address of it, 1216 Wyoming Street. And I rolled up to it and I looked at this building and I said, there's no way on earth we could ever afford this. And so I show up and our real estate agent says to me, she says, so how many people are in your church? I said, five. And she goes, well, I don't know if this is big enough to hold 500 people. I said, I did not say 500. <laughs> I said, five. And she goes, oh, okay. Um, so we need a church to meet the size of five people. Well, we're hoping that we can grow to how big? I don't really know. And she goes, well, you gotta have an idea. I don't have an idea. Well, do you think it'll be 50? Do you think it'll be 100? Do you think it'll be 200? I, I honestly have no idea whatsoever. She said, well, here's what the rent is. And she showed it to me uh, on the back of a business card that she had there. And I go, yeah, there's no way in the world we can afford that. And she goes, well, let's just see what we can do. And I said, I, I'm more than willing to hear that out, but I don't, I don't see how this is possible. And I wish I had time to tell you it's a, it's a three-hour story that I don't have time for this morning, but how God worked this out and how you're sitting here this morning because God did the impossible. So we can't follow what we think is possible with our own brain because we limit God so often. The Bible says with God, all things are possible. But you and I just have to follow in obedience. And we began to follow the Lord in obedience and, and he began to provide for us and do things that we felt were impossible and I still believe that you and I are part of something special that God has done here, that God has done things for who we call a Baptist church in the last six years that he hasn't done for other churches in America, that we're seeing God do things here that he doesn't do at other churches, that we're seeing God uh, save, baptize, and disciple people, and you and I just get to show up and be a part of it. It's special. Don't take it for granted. And God is doing the impossible, but it's not based on us. It's based on him. So we're not guided by what we deemed best, we're not guided by what we deem possible, we're guided by the word of God. Now Mary received a dream and, or received an angelic vision. Joseph received a dream or an angel spoke to him. We don't get dreams from angels. We don't get visitations from angels. We have something far better, the word of God. You and I have the Bible. Did you know that you have more of God's word available to you than Joseph and Mary would ever see in their lifetime? That's a phenomenal thought. You think to yourself like, oh, if God came to me in a dream and told me something, I'd do it too. Really? God's written to you in his word in black and white. Yet many times we choose to go our own way and not obey that. So we're not guided by dreams, visions. We're not guided by what we think best, how we can figure things out. We're guided by the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And here's the great news about God and guiding us by his hand. He's promised to guide us step by step. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Life is not trial and error. God's given you the guidance to follow him step by step. If you got your Bibles open, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter three in your Bible. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter three has two verses in it that will absolutely revolutionize your life. And I don't say that as some, some hyperbole. I'm telling you, these two verses will absolutely change your life if you'll do it. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Sometimes we teach our kids these verses in Sunday school. When you hear these verses, you're gonna say, oh, I've heard this before. <laughs> Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Circle that, star it, underline it, highlight it, commit it to memory, write it down on a three-by-five card. Don't forget it. This is how we find God's direction for life. It's three steps and a promise. Very simple. Step one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 100% reliance on God, 100% faith in him. I trust him, I believe him, whatever he tells me to do, I'm just gonna do it. Step one. Now, that removes me trusting in myself, which leads you to the next part. Lean not into thine own understanding. If you've ever tried to make life decisions like I have in the past, you got a major life decision coming up. You don't know what to do. You don't know whether you should go to the left or to the right. You don't know whether you should go here or there. You don't know whether you should take it or not. One of the greatest decision-making ways that we as, as, as folks do is we sit down with a list and we create two columns, right? Anybody ever done that before? One side is, help me, pros. The other side is cons. And when we get a write out, here's the pros, here's the cons. Hmm. And then we make a decision based on do the pros outweigh the cons? If they do, then we go with it. You know what that's called? Leaning to your own understanding. So this is not about pros versus cons. Something as simple as this, starting a church. Let me just tell you, the cons greatly outweigh the pros. Greatly outweigh. Being able to move into this building, the cons greatly outweigh the pros. When we expanded two years ago into this auditorium space where you're seated here this morning, uh, for those of you that don't know uh, the super cool story of who we call, where our kids are at this morning, that used to be our main auditorium. We used to have two services in there on a Sunday morning, and it was awesome. But when we moved in here, the cons greatly outweighed the pros, greatly. But again, we don't make decisions based on pros versus cons. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we lean not to our own understanding. Then, step three, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm gonna put God first in every area of my life. Every area. From the way that I spend my time, I'm gonna put God first. The things that I think about, I'm gonna put God first. The type of friends that I hang around with, I'm gonna put God first. The type of entertainment or activities that I enjoy, I'm gonna put God first. The places that I go on the internet, I'm gonna put God first. The type of interactions I have with folks, put God first. In my workplace, I'm gonna do my best at the job that I'm hired to do because I want people to know that I put God first. And in all my ways, I'm gonna acknowledge him. The way that I spend my money, in my giving, I'm gonna put God first. And Angela and I, for the last 19 years, when we make a family budget, number one line item is our giving to the Lord because he comes first. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the promise. He'll direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he'll direct your path. It'll be clear. But here's the problem with many Christians. They don't trust in the Lord with all their heart. They're hanging on to a little bit of themselves. They say, well, I'm gonna do my part and hope that God shows up and does his part. 
And then I'm going to try to figure out what God's doing. Uh, and I'm going to do things like, well, if the door's still open, I'm going to keep plowing through that door. If God shuts the door, then that's God closing the door. Hey, have you ever thought for a second that the devil could leave a door propped open for you? That whole idea of I'm going to pursue this as long as the door's open and ask God to shut the door, God, that's not a biblical concept. And I don't think it's wise in every circumstance. So use that sparingly, I would say, because the devil can leave a door propped open for you to get you in trouble. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. We don't do those things. We don't trust. We don't acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. We're doing our own thing, going our own way. And then we wonder, well, I wonder why God's not showing me direction because you haven't fulfilled the requirements. This is in the Bible what we call a conditional promise. You meet the conditions, God, I'll give you the promise. If you're not putting God first, you're trying to figure things out on your own, your faith is wavering, you're never gonna find your path for life. But put God first in every way, trust in him completely, stop trying to figure things out on your own, and it will become readily apparent what God has for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. That's a promise from God and that will help you in life. Here's the other thing. If you have children, we need to teach our children the, these concepts at a young age so they don't bounce around through life trying to figure life out through trial and error. Trust in the Lord with all their heart. Turn back if you would to Luke chapter one this morning. So we follow in obedience even when our path is unclear and we can give our praise to the Lord. I love what Mary did. She praised the Lord. Verse 46 begins again what we sometimes refer to as Mary's song. If you're, if you're taking notes here, you want to write out to the side there, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We find a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah wasn't supposed to have a child. She was barren. And she prayed that God would give her a child so that she could give that child back to God and his name was Samuel. And so Hannah got pregnant, was able to have a son and she kept good to her word. She took her son and she dropped him off at the, uh, the temple there with the priest, Samuel, with a man by the name of Eli. And when she left her son there, we have Hannah's song for Samuel chapter two, if you could take time to read that. It's another praise to God for his goodness. But many times when faced with uncertainty, many times when faced with, not, I'm not really sure what's going on here, we begin to become anxious. We begin to worry. And anxiety and worry always kill our praise. Oh, it's easy to praise God when all of your bills are paid. It's easy to praise God when everything's going your direction. It's easy to praise God when all the kids are healthy and they got all their homework done and they got their teeth brushed and are ready for bed with their pajamas on right? Everybody can praise God for that. Everybody can praise God when you get a new job or get a new car or get advanced at work or something like that. Everybody can praise God for that. But many times when the path is unclear, we don't praise, we begin to worry. And then we begin to question God. God, what are you doing here? What are you trying to do? Why did you put me in this mess? Mary, pregnant, teenage, unwed girl, has every right in the world to say, God, what are you doing here? I realize that the Messiah has to come, but I didn't want to bring it. I realize that somebody has to do this, but why me? What's Joseph gonna think? What's gonna happen with him? Am I gonna be stoned? Is anybody gonna believe my story? What's gonna happen here? But she didn't, you know what she did? She praised God. Take a look at verse number uh, 40, uh, 46. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord 
My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden. He's taken somebody as small as me, as meaningless as me, who's just a simple house servant. And what did he do? For behold, from henceforth shall all generations call me blessed. For he hath, he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. His mercies on them that fear him from generation to generation. He showed his strength with his arm. He scattered the proud imaginations of their hearts. He put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of a low degree. He filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he hath sent empty away with hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spake unto our fathers of Abraham, to our seed forever. You know what Mary could have done? She could have sat and complained about herself, but you know what she did? Instead, she praised God. And you know what praise does for us? It takes the focus off of us and it turns our perspective upwards. It's not about me, it's all about God. It's not about what happens to me, it's about the glory of God. And notice in Mary's praise here, she doesn't talk about how terrible this is gonna be for her. She looks at this and goes, oh, this is gonna be great. Oh, this is gonna be awesome. God finally gets to prove his faithfulness to Israel. If you remember last week, we took a look at how in the book of Genesis, God gave to Abraham, the very first book of the Bible, God gave to a man by the name of Abraham a promise of a land, a seed, and a blessing. That he would give them a land that we now know as the nation of Israel. He would give to them a people who we now know as the people of Israel. And he was bringing a blessing to the world that all the world would be blessed through. And you know what Mary says here? You finally get to keep that third part of your promise. Now all people are blessed because of what I get to do, what I get to be a part of. I get to be a part of something great. And it wasn't about how terrible her circumstances were. It was about how great her God is. And if you read through Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll find that Hannah didn't spend a lot of time with a woe is me attitude. She talked about the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. And let me just tell you this. When faced with trials or difficulties in life, just praise God and be thankful. When faced with uncertainty, I'm not sure how this is gonna work out exactly. Find the things in your life that God has been good with and praise him for it. And praise erases anxiety and worry because you see that God's been faithful so far to get you so far that he's gonna take you the rest of the journey. Sometimes we don't know what to praise God about. I encourage you to get a sheet of paper and just start writing the things that you're thankful for. Write out 50 things that you're thankful for. 50, what the world? Usually somewhere around 10 to 12, you get stuck. And you're like, I've already thanked God for my family and for life and for my job and for my house. And then you just keep going on stuff. And then usually you get to around like 35 or 40 and you just keep going because you realize how blessed you are and how good God is. Sometimes for me, I'll grab a hymnal off of uh, my shelf in my office and I'll begin to thumb through it and just look at songs and begin to sing songs. I believe every home should have a hymnal. If you don't have one, we have some for sale on the back table uh, here today. Everybody should have a hymnal where you just kind of read through. And here's the awesome part. Some of these songs I don't even know. And I just make up tunes to go with them. You know why? Because God doesn't care how it sounds. He just wants the praise of his people. Man, I hope you listen to good worship and praise music. <laughs> we were on the way to school the other day and Vanderlei was like, hey, let's listen to Christmas music. I was like, okay, we're in the window where it's okay to listen to Christmas music. And so we turned on the Christmas radio, the, the Christian radio station and they're playing Christmas music all the time now. Turn on the Christian radio station. And I, I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. 
it was dance Christmas music. Like, inch, 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 inch. The first Noel, inch, 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 inch. The angel did say, inch, 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 inch. I was like, what is this? Like, you took something that I didn't think you could mess up, the first Noel. Like, how can you mess up the first Noel? They did it. I promise you, they did it. They messed up the first Noel. But man, listen to good worship and praise music, and you'll probably have to go further than uh, your, your radio dial to get that, and that's okay. But find good worship and praise music that causes your heart to say, yes, our God is so great. He's so powerful. We can give our praise. We can praise in the midst of uncertainty. Mary didn't know what was gonna happen with all this, but she was thankful to the Lord to be able to be chosen to be a part of what he's doing. You and I might not be certain about what the future brings, but we can be certain that God is great and that God is good and that he will be faithful. You see, our praise is based upon the greatness of God, not the comfort of our circumstances. When you and I praise God, we don't praise God for our circumstances necessarily. We praise him for his greatness and his goodness. And again, I've beat this like a drum for the last three months. You might not understand what God's doing in your circumstance, but know that God is at work and he's working it out according to his master plan. You can trust him every step along the way. Mary didn't know how any of this was gonna work out. She just said, God, I trust you and I praise you for it. God, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that your plan is great. And so don't withhold your praise because of your circumstances because then we would only praise when things are going our way. That's not true praise. Mary's song didn't have a lot to do with her circumstances. It had a lot to do with the greatness of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15 says, by him therefore, speaking of Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips in giving thanks to his name. Generally, we don't have to wait for the last Thursday of November to give thanks We'd be giving thanks every single day. I'm thankful that we as a nation have a holiday on our calendar where we stop and are grateful. But friend, we should be, as Christians, grateful every single day. Thankful. And I hope you'll take time to thank people around you. For me, I want to be more grateful. I go out of my way sometimes to say, hey, thanks for being faithful. Hey, I really appreciate your friendship. Hey, I'm thankful that God brought you to our church. I'm glad to have a friend like you. And you go, well, that's kind of weird. It is weird at first because we're not grateful people. We're a complaining people. But we need to get those words in our vocabulary. It should be okay for guys to say to other guys, hey, I love you and I appreciate your friendship and it not be weird because the Bible says that we should be a people of love. We should be able to say to people, hey, thanks for being a good friend to me. I really appreciate that and it not be awkward. I should be able to say to our children's ministry workers, I really appreciate your influence on my children and it not be awkward. That's a spirit of praise and gratitude. We should be able to see people that we see week after week here at church and say, hey, I really appreciate you being faithful. I'll always look over where you sit and you're always there. That encourages me. That's a spirit of gratitude that we have. And those things are not based on your circumstances and how things are going for you. It's based on how good God is and his faithfulness. Next, we see in verse number 58 that we maximize God's glory when we give him our life. 
As we take a look at the Christmas story and the lessons that we glean from these people, the, the theme automatically is giving, giving, giving. And we give gifts at Christmas. We write Christmas cards at Christmas because God is gracious in giving to us. And our giving is just a picture of the giving that God already does. And God is a generous giver. And let me just tell you this, that God doesn't just give at Christmas time. God gives every single day. And you and I shouldn't just give at Christmas time. We should give of ourselves every single day. But you know what Mary gave in this case here? She gave her life. If you take a look at uh, verse number 58 in Luke chapter one this morning. And her neighbors, speaking of Mary's neighbors and her cousins, heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. You see, Mary didn't just get to do something great for you and I to read about in the Bible. Mary didn't just do something really unique that, that all nations would be blessed by. Mary had an effect on her neighbors and her cousins. And they said, whoa, did you hear what happened to Mary? Yeah, I heard she's carrying God's kid. What? No, no, like for real. Like an angel even came to Joseph and told him that too. Wow. She freaked out by it? No, man, she's totally at peace with it. <laughs> she wrote like this really good song too. You should hear it. I don't know if it was that, but until I think about it. You know, she was, she was good with it. Wow. Praise God. So the Messiah is coming through Mary? Wow, that's huge. Great news. Praise God. And you and I, when we're obedient to God, you and I, when we make Jesus the center of our life, not just one of the things that we do, when we fully yield to God, I believe other people will step back and go, wow, that's awesome. Praise God for that. Two weeks from today, we'll have some folks that are baptized over at Alamona Beach Park. And I think we as a church family can watch those being baptized and saying, man, praise God for that. I remember when I got baptized. Man, I remember that feeling that I had. Praise God for these people. Every single time without fail that we go out there and we baptize folks, somebody who's out there at the beach that day comes over and says, hey, what church are you guys from? Hey, I want to give praise to God for what he's done. I had a lady one time from Australia come over and she says, well, what is this over here that's going on? And I said, this is a Christian baptism. She says, what's that all about? Well, I'm glad that you asked. That's like waving a red flag in front of a bull, right? And ask a Baptist preacher what baptism's all about. Let me tell you all about it. Man. I had the opportunity to go through the gospel with a person from Australia on the beach because of the faithfulness of people willing to be baptized. You see how that works? They sacrificed. They gave their life to Christ. They were willing to follow him unashamed. And you know what happened? God got the glory from it. Praise God for that. And if you and I would be willing to be obedient and shine the light of Jesus Christ, not just at Christmas, but every other day of the world, we'd give glory to God through our life and we would maximize God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, Paul says, now thanks be unto God, which causes us always to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Praise God that he's called us, but not only that, we get to show the love of Christ everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we get to show the love of Christ to people. Psalm 86, verse nine says, all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and, thou shalt, and shall glorify thy name, for thou art great and doest wondrous things, and thou art God alone. You see, when other people see God at work in our lives, we're able to give glory to him. When we're out in public in our our 
kids get complimented. Oh, your kids are well-behaved. Well, you should see them at home. Uh, but well-behaved in public. Oh, they say please and thank you. Well, man, it's nothing that we've done. We've just tried to teach them the Bible. We're Christians. Sometimes folks will say, well, I saw your family over there praying before your meal. We're Christians. Praise God for that. We don't get credit for that. Oh, wow, it seems like your, your life's worked out for you well. Oh, I've tried to mess it up every opportunity that I've gotten, but God's good and he's faithful and he's, any good thing that's ever came out of my life is a gift from him. Oh, what beautiful children you have. Man, praise God that my kids make me look good. And praise God for his goodness. My kids are a gift to me from God. Hey, everything that you and I have that is worth anything in this life comes directly from God, the Bible says. And we get the opportunity to give him glory through that. Final thought that we find this morning is letting go of what we hold dear is where we find lasting fulfillment and purpose. Mary made a decision here to just obey the Lord. <clears throat> now, we don't know exactly how old Mary would have been, but most uh, Bible scholars would agree she was probably a mid-teenager, maybe around 15, 16 or so. We don't know that for sure, so to, to say that by default is just reading into the Bible, but, but most Bible scholars would agree that she was somewhere along those lines. And she made a decision as a teenager or even a young adult Whatever God says, I'm just going to do it. If I'm supposed to carry the Christ child, I will. I don't understand it. I don't know how all it's going to work out, but I trust in God. Now, there were times it would have been difficult for Mary as she chose to walk with God. If you remember, there was a time in the Gospels where somebody came to Jesus and had said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brother's outside. They want to talk to you for just a second. And you know what Jesus says? My family's right here with me. My family are those who follow after God. I don't really have a mom or a brother. All this is my family. I can imagine Mary, if she's like you or I, would have stepped back from that and go, wow, that was maybe a little bit hurtful. Jesus didn't mean it in a hurtful sense. He just meant that his family that he has now are the followers of, of God. And you and I get to be a part of that family together with him. But you know what? That didn't dissuade Mary. That didn't cause Mary to stop following after the Lord or anything like that. She continued to follow she continued to be faithful. And as Christ was crucified, Mary stood by while her, while her own son that she'd given birth to, while he was fully God in the flesh and fully man in the flesh, hung there on a cross to suffer and bleed and die and endure the wrath of God for my sin and for yours. She stood there and watched it because she was faithful, because she trusted, because she committed her life to this. You see, following God for her wasn't something that she did on the weekends and then lived for herself the rest of the week. It was something that she committed her life to. If you turn over to the book of Acts, chapter one in your Bibles this morning, I want you to take a look at this. Here we find the ascension of Christ in Acts chapter one. Jesus Christ has now been crucified. He's risen again the third day of his own power. He's shown himself to probably 500 or so people already. He's talked with people. He's met with folks. He had breakfast with the disciples and encouraged them to follow after Jesus and the things that he had, had set for them. He told Peter, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. He's done all that. Acts chapter one, verse number eight. He repeats the great commission, the mission of this church and every other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. When he had spoken these things, they beheld he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. 
skip down to verse number 14. The apostles, or verse 13, they went on to an upper room where there were both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, Judas, the brother of James. And these all continued in one accord together in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Can we find Mary after Christ has ascended? You know what she's doing? She's just still being faithful. She's just still where she's supposed to be. She didn't just, oh, I did my part. I think I'm done. No, 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 no. She's following after Christ continually. You know why? Because following God wasn't just something she did on the weekends. It was her life. What's the next step now? Where do we go now? What happens next? I don't know. I'm just going to be obedient. Jesus says, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. So I'm just going to sit and wait. And then when that happens, I'm going to continue to follow after God because that's where she found lasting fulfillment. That's where she found her purpose in life was following after God. And friend, you will be disappointed when you chase after the things of this world to the neglect of the things of Christ every single time. But once you get a hold of Jesus, I'm telling you this, you'll never want to let him go. You'll find everything that your soul has craved, everything. The things of this world cannot satisfy. That's why Mary didn't go find something else. Because she knew where she found fulfillment. She knew where her sense of purpose was. She knew where the good stuff in life was found and it wasn't found in the things of the world. And friend, when you chase after the things of this world, you will be disappointed time and time and time again. When you sell out Jesus for the things of this world the way that Judas did, you will realize, just as Judas did, that the things of this world cannot compare to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that you get today other than the fact that you need Jesus as your Savior. I want you to get this thought. We cannot simultaneously hold the things of this world and at the same time hold the things, hold on to Christ. You cannot simultaneously hold the things of this world and at the same time hold to Christ. You gotta let one of them go. It's hard. I remember Angela and I, when we first started going to church, we were marginally faithful. We knew it was something we were supposed to do. We didn't really have it in us to actually get involved and do the, the whole thing. And we'd make excuses like, oh, we couldn't find the right church. Or, we didn't like these people. Or this, this church, their music was too slow. Or that preacher over there wasn't that great. We made a lot of excuses. And then when we found a church that kind of took away all those excuses, they preached the Bible and they loved people and they just kind of did what, uh, what God said, uh, we made the excuse that we didn't have time or we were too busy or when our schedule dies down, maybe things will be different. But what was really happening was we were trying to hold on to the things of this world and, and, and grab onto Jesus whenever we needed him. Grab onto Jesus when we need him and then let go when we're done with it and then hang on to the things of this world. Let me just tell you that. You'll always be disappointed when you do that. The Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Not some of his ways, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so when we pursue Christ and pursue the things of this world, you gotta drop one to get the other. Friend, you cannot pursue Christ when you pursue sin. You cannot pursue Christ while at the same time pursuing gossip. You cannot pursue Christ while at the same time pursuing materialism. You cannot pursue Christ at the same time that you pursue sexual immorality. You can't pursue Christ at the same time you pursue pornography. You cannot pursue Christ at the same time you pursue selfishness. 
doesn't work. You gotta drop one, pick up the other. But you know what Mary says? I'm done pursuing self, I just wanna pursue Christ. This child that I gave birth to, I wanna pursue the mission that he has for the rest of my life. And the most disappointed, discouraged, frustrated Christians that I know are the ones that think they can have this world and have Jesus at the same time. You just be disappointed. Because you'll never be able to be fully engaged in the world because you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And every time you sin, you're gonna feel crummy about it. Every time you sin, you're gonna remember what the Bible says about your behavior and you're never gonna be able to fully engage and enjoy the things of this world because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you kicking at you. You'll never be able to fully enjoy the fullness of Christ because you know your secret lurking sin is back there in your heart that you just can't bring yourself to let go of. And you'll never enjoy the joy that's found in Jesus because you're hanging on to the garbage of this world that's holding you back. Can't do it. Can't afford it. Pick a side. You know, Jesus himself said that in the book of Revelation. You're not hot, you're not cold. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he says you make me want to vomit. So pick a side. Jesus said this, if you're not for me, you're against me. So just pick a side. At least at least you know where you stand. Mary, she picked her side. Lord, whatever you said, I'm willing to follow it. And not only am I willing to follow it, I'm willing to make it the song of my heart. I'm willing to build my life around it. And I'm not willing to be faithful for a couple of weeks. I'm not willing to be faithful until my circumstances improve. I'm willing to be faithful for the rest of my life. That's what we find in Mary's life. Psalm 1611 is in your notes. Probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Sometimes that way, if, if you ask me what my favorite verse in the Bible, I'll tell you Psalm 1611, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know where the joy of life is found in? It's found in Jesus. You know where the path of life is found, it's found in Jesus. You know where the real pleasure, real pleasure, not fake pleasure that the world offers that wears off. You know where pleasures forevermore are found? At the right hand of God. There's a picture of that. The Bible says in, in, in the Bible throughout, the story of the right hand is the right hand of favor, blessing, power. At God's hand of blessing is found pleasures forevermore. At God's right hand of power is found pleasure forevermore. Jesus has the good stuff that your heart craves. Follow after him. C.T. Studd wrote a poem, only one stanza of the poems in your notes here this morning. It's the, the last stanza. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life hath burned out for thee. And what an amazing truth. I only have one life to live and I can live it for myself in a selfish, self-centered way or I can live it for Jesus in a way that will live on forever. And when my life is over, I wanna be able to say, I did my best for Jesus. Build your life on anything else, you'll be disappointed. We even teach our kids a song. Your kids probably know it from Super Church. 
The wise man built his house upon the rock. If you're wise, you'll build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life on Jesus. You'll never be disappointed. Build your life on this world. You'll be disappointed every single day, and you'll be looking for the next big thing. But Jesus is what your heart desires. Most important thing in the world If you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven's your home, you're not 100% sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven, you need to be saved today, friend. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we're so pumped up about Christmas because Jesus came to die for your sins and to pay for them so you don't have to be under the weight of your sin. You can be set free and live to a new life in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, don't hit the double doors in the back until you know for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that are saved, have you built your life on Jesus Christ? Are you willing to follow him in obedience in every area of your life? Are you willing to praise him even though the road ahead might seem uncertain at times? Are you willing to let go of the things of this world to truly embrace Christ for this life and for the next? And that's where you'll find the good stuff of life. And this morning has been lessons from the life of Mary. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.